This has got to be one of the gutsiest clubs in the National Hockey League. Here's a breakaway. McKinnon. Pure guts. Oh. They got nothing but guts. Brandon right here with a terrific backhand pass. And look at the patient. My goodness. Guts all over the place. I can't believe it. And after 22 years. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm Steph, a.k.a. The Sword of Sick One. And you're locked into Burgundy Radio for November 19th or 20th, 2018, depending on how long we blab about Avalanche hockey and how fast I can edit and upload. Coming up on the show, we continue to say Amico Rantanen as the Avs come from behind in every single game. Our simple wish list for Badner, we'll talk about the return of Philip Grubauer, we'll talk about what's going on with Nikita Zadorov this week, but before we play the whoosh, let's meet the others, aka the Disembodied Voices this week. Hi, Earl. Hello, friends. Hi, Jackie. Bonjour. Hi, Rudo. Finally nailed the predictions for once. Okay, let's go. On Wednesday, Avs fall behind 3-1 to the Boston Bruins at home, then rally and win 6-3. Gabe Landeskog opened the scoring early, then Colorado got five unanswered from Miko Ranton and Matt Calvert hilariously. Nathan McKinnon, Tyson Jones, and Alexander Kerfoot. Three of those goals are on power plays, and two of the goals against are on the penalty kill. For there being nine goals here, it was a pretty low event affair. The teams combined for 48 shots on goal. It was a sleepy-ish game at 8 o'clock local on a Wednesday. Thanks. Thank apostrophe S. Also, Nikita Zadorov was benched for half of this game, and he would catch a healthy scratch for the next game as well. And that has been probably the hottest topic across Avalanche conversations this week, is was that justified? I present the same question to you. <laughs> was that justified? No. Yeah, it's it's really hard to justify the full-on benching alone, let alone the scratch on top of it. Like, I definitely can see Bednar telling Zadorov that he can't do things like that, and maybe benching him for, like, a period. But to to be so heavy-handed that you have to take him out for basically a game and a half, I don't think you're doing yourself any favors there. I think it was heavy-handed, but I... You know, I, I think it needed to be something needed to be done, and I can't really judge whether, you know, this was going way too far or just a little bit too far. Um, you know, the 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 play that he sort of messed up on the penalty kill in the first period was really bad, and I've seen a couple other instances of the same thing happening earlier this year. So I know it's something that they've been on him about. And sort of the, the coverage in front of the net is something uh, that's probably been his weakest area over his NHL tenure. And then the <clears throat> you know, taking the penalty right after they get back in the game, um, I can just see that driving a coach nuts. And so, you know, I, I, maybe it was a little bit of overreaction then, but, I you know, I, I, I don't know what, the deal with the scratch was in the, in the next game. So, um, you know, I, I don't like that part about it, but again, if it's, if it's a message that they're not getting through and they, they think this is the only way it can happen, then I, you know, I don't know what to say about that. It's not the first time we've been through this with Zadorov either. No. But that was in the so, beginning when he arrived last year, not in hero shape. So, 
that was a little bit different. Um, the Zadorov thing is complicated for me because it's not just all on the surface. So for that, maybe it's things that have happened over time or happen privately. They're in practice or things that they see. Like Earl said, if you keep telling him to do something and he won't do it, I could understand that's frustrating. But the penalty he took was was a plain physical penalty. It wasn't one of the dumb penalties, which was even funnier after Barbario and Wilson both had really stupid penalties in that game. And then you go after Zadorov for taking more of a plain physical like what you ask him to do. And then to just not play him the whole second half of the game is a bit odd, especially when Boston had lost Chara and they were playing with five defensemen. Then you want to just basically give the advantage right back to them and play five defensemen yourself is a little bit strange. I mean, I, I have to believe it's more than just the penalty. Like maybe yeah. the penalty was the final straw, but over the past two weeks, we've seen Ian Cole cost the Avs two games with stupid penalties, and he doesn't get his time reduced at all. So, Right, or ne- Nemeth threw, had a stupid delay of game penalty. Right, you can go down the list. Like, There's been a lot of players that have stupid penalties, and they don't get sat for half the period even because of it. Well, I so, mean, last night, Zadorov had another stupid penalty, and they didn't do that, anything. So I just I yeah. don't think that was really that big of a deal i really think it's more about how he's playing in the defensive zone that's pissing them off and then that opens a whole bunch of other doors and yeah i agree it wasn't just about the penalty but if you're going to send a message like that and use you pick that as the excuse it just doesn't pass the eye test and as far as his play like, when they played him more with Barry, he played well. And then putting him on the, on the third pair with Nemeth is a tough ask. And we know Zadorov plays better with more minutes. We know that he gets in the flow of the game. He can play more physical that way when he's really feeling it. And so it's not a matter of he hasn't earned the right to play more minutes. It's just they can't because of the defensive personnel they have. And he's the kind of the one that gets the short straw that has to deal with Nemeth. So I mean, I mean, who would you play him ahead of out of the the four guys in the top four? I mean, that's that's a tough question. I mean, it's you know he's definitely the the fifth best defenseman. I mean, and, we'll probably get into this conversation later, but you might consider playing him over EJ right now. <laughs> I mean, it's an idea, but, you know, you're not going to. <laughs> EJ was terrible right. with Nemeth, so when they switched yeah. the pairs, Zadorov and Barry were fine. EJ was terrible with Nemeth, and you just can't do that long term. Right, like, yeah, that, that would be more theoretical, and in practice, so, it's obvious but, Right, but no, but... It's, it's not anything that Zadorov was doing wrong. It's just because whoever you're putting next to Nemeth is the guy you're screwing. So... So basically what you're saying at this point, it's the least important to not screw Zadorov. I don't even think it's that he isn't better than the other four. I could argue that I think, aside from the magic points Barry gets, he's been pretty bad. And I think he should have to live with Nemeth for a bit. 
personally. Uh, I mean, oh, no, I I, I don't buy that. Like, <laughs> they're here to off. they're here to win yeah. games, and this is the best way for them to win games. And yeah, it kind of sucks for Zadorov, but then I, just don't a... pull the meritocracy card. Then just don't say, "Well, you haven't played well." I mean, has he played fantastic? No, but he's also been put in a situation that is not because of his play. I mean, they've benched Nemeth too, so it's not like they're they being totally they unfair about the, this. The Nemeth, it's not a benching. They just scratched him because they want to get Barbario into the lineup. Because Bender says he doesn't like to have a guy sit Now out you're, you're picking and choosing here, though. It's yeah. only a scratch for Nemeth, but it's a benching for Zadorov. That's not okay. fair. Who, who has like been cut off in the middle of a game other than Zadorov? Um, this year? Yeah, most of the bottom six forwards, not yeah, named Calvert. Say, okay, like, we're not talking about fourth liners here. We're talking about like send a message, you're done in the middle of the game. So there's a difference between a benching and a scratching. I will say that he is willing to scratch Nemeth, obviously, but it's not a send a message kind of thing. It's not a tough love kind of thing. It's a we we have seven defensemen and Barbario needs to play at some point. It's not like a discipline thing. With Zadorov, it is. And he's the only one that seems to get that, aside from maybe some fourth liners. I mean, it, it, I mean, if we know that Z is sort of a willful personality, I mean, I, you know, I can see this being more rooted in attitude than just about anyone else on the team, really. So, I, you know, it, it's sort of a special situation. I mean, you know, I, I, nobody knows how these guys are really like in practice and, and away from the cameras and stuff. But it's like, you know, I don't imagine Patrick Nemeth is willful and stubborn with the coaching staff, you know, nor Mark Barbario. So it's just, you know, I, I find it it's tough to compare because there just isn't someone similar that you can put in that boat. But then also what Zadorov's supposed to do to earn more minutes. I mean, okay, play better. But like you said, who who is he knocking down at this point, regardless of if he plays really good I mean, or who not? Who says that more minutes are in the offing here? I know. They're... <laughs> I mean, I, I his job points. is basically laid out in front of him. Like, this is, you know, this is what you're going to play. Do the best you can at it. I mean... Yeah. I mean, to TV's think... point, this is something we've seen before, uh, particularly with Chris Bigrow last year. And from the the fan side of things, like we don't know exactly what it is, but there are clearly some things that Bednar just does not tolerate his defenseman doing. Yeah. And Zadorov seems to be falling into one of those things, whatever it is. And I don't know I, if I'm particularly a fan of the way Bednar is handling it, but it's it's something that we know is in his playbook. I wonder if that thing is just taking a lot of penalties because Zadorov has been good for about a minor a game lately, and whether those are justified calls or not, he's been taking them. Well, he would he was doing that last year. He gets a lot of being big penalties, and he could cut down on the dumb ones, but he's always going to get the big being big penalties. It's just last year they didn't care because they liked him playing with EJ. Yeah, I, I'm not sold on that. I think even if you take away Cole's silly game penalty, he still has just as many minutes as Zadorov in the box. Yeah. And 
I would agree with you that Cole's play has been more consistent on the ice, but we haven't seen him really get knocked down for those penalties, so. He also gets away with a whole lot more. He sure does. He does. Such as um, not even being on the camera when it's actually David Horsofsky, but. That was hilarious. (laughs) Wait, that sure looks like Warsawski. (laughs) That is Warsawski. Good job, Altitude promo team. But uh, if if the the uh, if the absence of Nikita Zadorov was going to be felt, that would have been definitely on Friday against the Washington Capitals. But there's a lot of confounding factors there. We'll just kind of go ahead and get into it. Um, on Friday, Carl Soderberg opened the scoring against the Capitals early. Then the Avalanche promptly got filled in. Shots were 25-18 oh. after two periods, and attempts were way worse than that. And there's a period in the middle of the first where I think they took like 17 attempts in a row. But yeah, it was a 17-1 run. It was oh, it's just horrifying. It was really rough to watch. And so the Avs did trail 2-1, but then they made it back to overtime before losing 3-2 almost immediately, like you do. <laughs> Colin Wilson scored your tying goal in this one after the puck bounced off Calvert's back. Wilson just batted it out of the air and in. That gave Calvert a bizarre three-game point streak. He has four points on the year now. And somewhere between there and Sunday, we lost Wilson to a lower body injury. And this game was the return of Philip Grubauer. Yeah, the Wilson thing is, you know, because when I first heard he wasn't playing, I was like, geez, did, you know, was he scratched or did, you know, did he miss a bunch of time in, at the end of that game? And I'm like, no, he scored the tying goal with like five seconds left. So- this kind of happened before. We don't have a lot of injuries that are obvious, like, oh, this guy disappeared in the game. We just hear at practice, they're not there. And then we think, okay, that's not a big deal. You know, one practice is one practice. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, you're day to day. And then we know how that goes. <laughs> Same thing with Nieto. Right. It's obvious he's trying to fight through something, but it's like, okay, he misses a practice here or there, but all of a sudden then it's like, oh, he's not playing either. So then yeah. that definitely becomes a thing that I'm, neither of them played. I mean, one of those is a blessing in disguise, and one of those things sucks. So, <laughs> yep. Uh, obviously, you never want anyone to get hurt, but... Losing Nieto means the Avs are forced into maybe doing things like playing Jost with Soderberg, which was great. For 10 seconds. They did it a little bit more in the next game, but... Yeah. On the other side, losing a guy like Wilson, you know, up to that point, he was on like a 35-point pace this year, which is leaps and bounds better than he was last year. And he was part of a handful of guys for the abs that have really stepped up in their depth scoring and have made games winnable for them based on how their defense has trended in the wrong direction. So that one hurts, you know, it, the abs need to keep some consistency going with what they have working and losing guys like Wilson don't, doesn't help that. Well, the concern with Wilson is that, he just needs to stay healthy to be effective. Like if he gets kind of on the same cycle he was last year, even though he would come back, he wouldn't be able to contribute the way that he has this year. Yeah. His, his skating was there. He's able to be physical. He's able to be engaged. If he's just 
sort of better than right. Not None of that helpful. like playing guys at seventy five percent this year. You need to wait till he's ready to go. Which is right. good because we have nine four again. That's that's no good. Um, yeah. Hopefully it was like you know, a bad bruise, like he blocked a shot, and it you know as soon as he took a skate off at the end of the game, it was you know, kind of a no go for a little while thing. But oh, my, my foot doesn't go in my shoe anymore. This isn't good. Yeah, exactly. And um, both of those guys were on the trip at least, so that means it's not serious. But you know, we'll see. But getting back to the Caps game, um, you know, we got we got Sven back in that game. Um, That's right, and he played a little bit on almost every line. Yeah. I like having Sven back because his speed is he likes to shoot and, and he adds skill to the lineup. But he still just does not fit anywhere, and that's that's kind of a problem. I mean, well, I he fits he a lot better with Wilson injured. <laughs> Well, but that I, line is I liked him with Kamenev like a lot better line. than, yeah, I, I, I liked him more in the Caps game than I did later on. But you know, I, I think it was good to have him back in the lineup. Um, you know, I, th- I think he does help the power play out um, a lot more than big old number eleven. Um, sure, and, they did at least stop that. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, he's kind of a, I don't know, he's a Swiss Army knife. You can kind of put him in a lot of situations, but you're right. It's He doesn't have a role, and I'm not sure they want to give him a really solid role given how prone to injuries he is. Because he's just but never going to go on the Soderberg line as the AK no. shutdown line. And with yeah. Kurt... With Kerf and Jose, it's too small. Like Bender even said that after yesterday's game, it's yeah. just too small of a line. And if, especially if you're on the road, they're they're going to put a, a much more physical line against them. So that's just not going to work. And then I think with Kamenev, like you said, you guys said would be maybe the best spot for him because then it would give Kamenev someone with skill and le- that likes to shoot and. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I think that I, worked well. I mean, even with Bork there, I mean, I just, I think, you know, you've got three guys that are really different. <clears throat> um, it was sort of like, um, we we had whatever it was the, the it was Sven Kamenev and Wilson during preseason that actually. Like, yeah, I I would like to see that. I know if Wilson comes back, he's probably going back on the Joe's Kerfoot line, which but, he should. Yeah, but I mean, Bork but I can agree. do some of the same things as Wilson, just not nearly as well yeah but i agree that that line had such promise in camp that it definitely feels like something they're gonna try again yeah I and mean, they sh- and they should kamenev has been fun yes because you can basically put him with anyone and he'll be just fine and the great thing is they actually have been putting him with anyone lately yeah um, they've been it you know i i i know it's tough to look at it, the box score sometimes and like you know, one night you'll see him, he gets both power play and penalty kill time, and then the next night he won't get any special teams time. Which, you know, that's like, a little you know. weird, but... But, I, I mean, I, I think what they do is just, they, they see an opportunity to put him in different situations, and, you know, and, and they just sort of see what how he does. And, I mean, Bednar even talked after this game about how he really liked, 
you know, he, he really liked Kamenev's game. He really likes how he's coming along and they're bringing him along slowly. And, you know, just, just trying to get him comfortable in a bunch of different roles. Cause you know, when you're not going to be a, a top six forward anytime soon, um, being able to fit into a lot of roles, you know, it's going to get him playing time and, and, you know, gradually get the acceptance of the staff. So, I'd, you know, I, I do wonder if, and Kamenev has been fine in his usage. I think all of us would like to see him used maybe a little bit more. Yeah. But I, I wonder if that's a bit of an overreaction to what they did with Tyson Jost last year and how they really tried to force him into a lot of minutes and make it work, and it just kind of took more than half the season to even be functional. I think it's... Ben or even talked about this, I think, after practice, when AJ asked him about getting Kerfoot more minutes, was I think he generally does want to give Kamenev more minutes, but, like, where is he going to get them from? And you can see that he tries, like, especially at the end of the the uh, the last game was he was putting Cam he wasn't playing the fourth line but he was putting Kamenev on Soderberg's line trying to give him a few other shifts here and there but it's like he likes his lines and he he has a vision for how much he wants to play them it's just going to be super hard for Kamenev to really break past that 10 minute barrier i, I think it's going to take like an injury like to to the point where there's an injury and they're going to slot him higher on a regular basis is kind of where he's going to get. I, I mean, at the end step. of the day, he has to move to wing. He just has I don't to. Think so. I, I mean, where, how can you keep him center. in the lineup when Comfer's back if you don't move him to wing? You just have to do Put it. Put Comfer on the wing. We, yeah, but like, we already I know like Bednar hates that. Bednar loves Comfer as the 4C, though. Yeah, but so you can he's only have so many 4Cs. Right, like... that's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> they've, they've played Kamenev at center this whole time. It would just seem, it just doesn't make sense then to then just put him on the wing somewhere else. Like I, I think he has that 4C spot. Like That's the only way he's going to stay in the lineup when everybody gets healthy is if he has that spot. If he's just in the mix as one of the wings, I, th- I think it's going to be much easier to scratch him. It's just rough right now because everyone wants Kamenev to get more ice time, and as long as the team insists on keeping him at the center position where he's been good, he, there's just no chance for the more ice time to ever happen because you're not going to play him right. over Carl, and he's not going to play on the second line. So yep, I think he could play on the second line eventually. I mean, I we could argue here he... he once he gets to the point where he can be on that line, maybe he should center that line. And I'm not saying that right now because that's a bit too much, but he's a better center than Kerfoot and Joestar. I don't know about that, but probably better than Joest. But um, to go back to what Ruda was saying, um, you know, I, I think a- another thing that sort of caught Bednar was when he announced that Joest was going to be the, the second line center in the beginning year and he doesn't want to do something with Kamenev like you know sort of uh, put him in a role and announce him as something more than than they've really solidly seen so far and I you know I think that's probably pretty smart and I, I I just think that you know gradually getting time playing with the higher lines in short situations you know I just is think about it's the a... best you can hope for it's a totally different situation from having a 19-year-old 10th overall pick 
that you basically made a promise to to get him to leave school versus a 22-year-old fourth-year pro that I'm saying is basically he looks dumb trying because to... he announced Jost as the 2C and he doesn't want to look dumb because he doesn't want to say like Kamenev can take over X role and have it you know, backfire again. Knowing... I don't think anybody right. cares what position Jost's in like things no, change but all the time. Bednar doesn't want to say stuff season. like that and look like an idiot because Jost couldn't handle it, you know. I don't even think he announced it. It wasn't he just needled about it and some sort of Ryan Clark yeah. asking about who's right. on that line for the fifth time. I don't even I remember this say happening. They had <laughs> Sheldon Dries play over a minute of PK time in that game. And you could definitely give that time to Kamenev. Yeah. Yeah. Kamenev has been pretty decent in a penalty kill role. Dries is usually with, with Gabriel Bork, and those two are kind of conceding a lot, but that's getting ahead of the game. And if any if these guys ever come back healthy, it is going to be, they're going to have to come down to a decision because they can't keep Dries and Kamenev. I think they'll, they'll send Dries down. Yeah, I think so too. Well, I, I first think they'll wave Dano, but. No, they won't. They're not going to wave Dano. Plus, it has nothing. I I could see them keeping Dano and only playing him like once every couple of weeks. They they scratched Dano for a couple of games and then brought him back um, on Sunday, and he was just deterred. Yeah, he was not good at all. He was not bad in yesterday's game. That line played well. Has he hired you as as his PR agent? No! (laughs) (laughs) No, I respect your opinion on it. And I'm harder on him than than probably he deserves, but I just, I don't like his game and I don't want to see him. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about it. He certainly doesn't bring anything that A.J. Greer can't, so. No, I, I completely agree. There was no need to go get him. I completely agree with that, but I appreciate the things in his game more than what some of the other plugs bring. Like, yeah, he's and a fourth liner. I get that. But just for fun, I was looking at his shot metrics today, and they're actually better than Matt Calvert's. Because he plays five seconds a night. Just, I thought his game <laughs> last night was summed up by the shift where he kind of like flailed around on an unsuccessful four check and then boarded himself. Like that was just, yeah, that was... yeah I thought he like broke his neck on that play. That I was, was brutal. Say, I think he was trying to break his neck. <laughs> hey, he had four hits. Didn't he lead the team in hits or something in six minutes? Hits are a garbage. They <laughs> still need some of it, especially if they're not playing Zadorov. They need somebody to hit at some point in the game. It's fine if they keep him around and play him once a week or whatever, but like the Kamenev Dries thing has nothing to do with Dano. They're just going to keep him as the extra forward. He's you on a one way contract. <laughs> the others aren't. I know Bedner likes Dries. I know Bedner wants to work with Kamenev, but he doesn't write the checks either. Well, I hope that Jodas makes the decision and. And give this Dano the wave again, because that's kind of so he can play for the Eagles and bump down a prospect out of the lineup. That's not a solution either. Down Michael Jolie. (laughs) Yeah, if we got to choose, should we go ahead and get into Grubauer then? Yeah, Yeah, it's time. So let's. 
Obviously, we haven't made it out of the Washington game yet. Grubauer playing against his old team, and uh, he was he was okay. Was yeah, fun. Grubauer is really good at being almost good enough. <laughs> Damning with faint praise. I guess uh, a backup he is fine, but this is supposed to be the future here. It is a little concerning. I don't know about the like he's just needs to get comfortable. I mean, it's not like he's playing in a new league. Yeah, it's it's midway through November. You ought to be reasonably adjusted to your new team system by now, right? Like, it's, I'm not crazy for that, right? No. I, I just don't think their styles gel at all. I mean, the Avs have played the same way defensively long before Bednar. Like, it's been this way for close to a decade now. And, yeah, Farley's used to it. Yeah, and, and Grubauer is just not at all. I mean, in the Ducks game, we saw he seemingly has no clue what to do if he's screened at all. So, <laughs> Yeah, let's go ahead and talk about the Ducks game real quick, uh, because the Avs fell behind early to the Anaheim Ducks. That was on Sunday. The first period was just dreadful to watch. It looked like a preseason game to several of us. <sighs> Um, things picked up at least a little bit as the Avs would eventually fall behind 3-1 to again before coming back to win 4-3 in overtime. That's right, an OT win. It's possible. The Avs got goals from Sven Andragetto, McKinnon, Landeskog, and Rantanen with the OT winner. That was a somewhat of a bomb on the power play with 1.3 seconds left. There's a rule that everyone in the game day chat forgot, which is that if the game sucks, you're not getting out of it early. Everyone was like, oh, the overtime's going to last 40 seconds. No, it's not. No, it's not. Well, that was an improvement. It was, At least it, we didn't have to watch a shootout. I, I was thinking it was going to be a shootout as soon as I saw yeah, the rosters. I, I was I like, this too. looks like a long game. And then it started to look like one as the game continued. Um, but, I know. When, but a, when a Mac was noodling. Those, or... uh, uh, noodling was, is an interesting Mac... verb. When when Mac was noodling around with the puck with like five seconds left, I'm like, uh, hurry! <laughs> <laughs> I know Time I was thinking right, at least but... get a shot off here, guys. Really? Yeah. So that that game sucked for a lot of reasons, um, but yeah. one of them was that one, if not two, of Anaheim's goals are like very directly back to Grubauer being. Just doing weird things like the the first goal against was a wraparound where he was kind of slow to come across but he still made it across and made the save and then he knocked it in with his own stick well yeah I, th I think the first goal is a perfect example because not only was he slow across if he had better rebound control it wouldn't have mattered anyway but he gave it right to the ducks player coming in with a rebound right out to his left so yeah that was and, and those are the two like most obvious problems with group is his lateral movement is slow and exaggerated and when you combine that with a rebound control that is reminiscent of Peter Budai you get a goalie that's out of the net and the other team with the puck and that's bad it's just kind of a problem yeah. because the avalanche don't cover rebounds very well and they really never have the sec the second goal that was a was problematic was a power play goal against where Grubauer kind of lost sight of the puck and thought the thing to do was just to slide almost all the way out of the net. Yeah. And that, that was 
bad optics. And yeah, yeah even- it's a screened goal, and you're thinking, oh, he, he can't see it, he's gonna be really hard to make that save, but where are you going, bud? Right. And it's just the yeah. same thing on the third goal, too. Like, yep. yeah, it was tipped nicely, but he just clearly had no awareness of where the other duck that that puck was heading to was because he way over-pushed to his right and then got beat on the short side, so... And I think the the saving grace for Gruber, and I don't want to jinx this, but it's you know I I think until he gets to play like eight ten games in a row, you know, or let's say eight out of ten games in a row, um, like real live starter time, you know, I just I don't think he's ever going to get into the rhythm that he needs to to show that that he could handle being a starter. Has so, he had a stretch? We know like how that? that could possibly happen, and I don't want to mention it, but you know that's <laughs> probably the only way it's it's really going to happen to to get him up to that level. I want to think he had a stretch like that towards the end of last season. Yeah, with the caps he yep. did at the end, kind of helping them keep their playoff position, and then obviously yeah. Holby went the rest of the way. But kind of towards the I... end of the regular season, Grubauer had to hold the fort down for a minute. I agree that it's going to be tough to see exactly what he can do as a starter until he is playing like one. So that is a point in his favor. It's just, I mean, I guess maybe we'd like to see more in just the raw ability. It's, it's interesting. You mentioned that. And now that I think about it, when you think of the traditional playoff style, you think of way more screenshots and stuff from out high. And Groob was bad in that playoff series for the two games he got. Yeah. And look how he's getting beat in this Ducks game, and that's pretty similar. So, I still prefer to see Varley start at this point. Like, um, oh yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Me too. <laughs> when they're busy, like how they are in this stretch, it makes sense to play both of them. But if I need a win tomorrow, I'm playing Varley. Easily. Yeah, I, the the big concern with Grub is how uncomfortable his style just looks in general. Not with the yeah. team necessarily, but just his normal stance and the way he moves in net. Just it's not something that I enjoy watching. Well, and, and you know, as as Bernier said last year, it really took him several months. You know, probably until you know the 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 ten game winning streak that he had first time Varley went out um, to really get comfortable with, with Parkila's additions to his style. I, I guess, you know, Parkila doesn't really change guy, guy's style, but he does add some stuff and it, you know, I, I guess it's, you know, it's a, it's a bunch of stuff that, that Bernier obviously hadn't seen before. And, and, you know, he liked learning it, but it, you know, it's just, a, it was a big change for him. And, you know, that's probably the same thing Grubauer is going through now. And it's just, it's not an easy transition. Yeah, I think Perkula's having like aneurysms on the bench with Grubauer. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I called him Group Pickard a few times last night, but you know, <laughs> no, I don't think he was that bad. He, he did make a save know. on a breakaway, so he's a little right, bit more yeah. like Gru Gustafson at this point. Right. Outside of the Vancouver game, he's been almost good enough. Well, that's the yeah. thing. I mean, after that third goal he really did shut it down i mean he did make some nice saves in the second half of that game so 
Um, you know, I, I like that he battled back for that. I like that he shut it down after, you know, I'm sure he knows that all three of those goals were, were pretty questionable. So, um, you know, he didn't fold up and, you know, he ended up getting the win because of it. So, I mean, that's a positive. Sure. And when he, even when he was tested in overtime, he was sharp with the blocker and ready to go. So, like, it's it's not all completely bleak in the land of Philip Grubauer, but it's we're just a little bit kind of suspicious of where exactly that train is going. Um, right. Eventually it's got to click, you know. We're a quarter of the way into the season now, so clock's yeah. ticking. It's, it's kind of to the point right now where if we ended up in a situation where Varley was down and you had to call up either, uh, I guess you probably would want to call up Francois at this point, um, yeah, be, but it would be like you wouldn't be sitting there going, you know, okay, well, Grubauer's just going to play every game, and if they start the third stringer, then it's a problem. Like if there's a back to back and they started the third string, you kind of like, okay, that makes sense, right? Like let's just may as well see what the kids got rather than look at a back to back with Philip Grubauer. Yeah, yeah, they brought in Francis to give him a shot, so they'll do that. So, and we don't need to go into that, but that's that wouldn't be something I would look forward to at this point. Uh, you should, but they will either you way. Pretty much yeah. never look forward to the third string goalie starting until he proves that he should. <laughs> so yeah, it's just so different saving shots in the A versus the NHL. But anyway, uh, this game sucked, but it was good to see Andrew Ghetto get back on the score sheet um, and. Even though that wasn't a play that he necessarily created, he made the space for himself and got the goal, so that was nice. It was good to see each member of the top line get one in, although I think McKinnon's was eventually given to Landeskog, wasn't it? Well, he still got one anyway, yeah. Or no, McKinnon's second went to Landeskog, that's right. Yeah. Right. And then obviously Miko had like a million points. Yeah, it's it's pretty (laughs) cool to watch that line right now. Yes. Let's just go over here to NHL.com, which is shit, by the way, and look at the points leader. Oh, it's Miko Rantanen with 32 points. He's also uh, a second or third in plus minus, I think. He's also, I believe, (laughs) first in primary, even strength assists, and even strength points. He has 24 assists. And it looks like there's one other player in the league with 20, and that's Mitch Marner. And isn't 24 assists in 20 games some sort of abs record as well? It's a lot. I think it, yeah. I mean, that's, that is a lot. I mean, if you think about 24 assists in 20 games, you're like, yeah, 24 assists, that's a lot. But, you know, think about he's, over a season, that's like nearly 100 assists. He's leading the league in points by three, and that guy in second is just Nathan McKenna. So. I mean, yeah. when you really think about it, like excluding McDavid, how many skaters would you rather have on your team over Rantanen right now? In the league? In oh, the league. God. There can't be many. No, and we're biased. I take anyone. But... And they're yeah. pretty Trade much. Nico for anybody. They're pretty much all. <laughs> like, everyone you would even consider is pretty much all in this top 10 of the scoring race right now because it's Rantanen, McKinnon, McDavid. And then Bergeron, Marner, Pasternak, Kane, um, 
Morgan Riley is a defender, obviously, and then Evgeny Malkin, um, Matt Duchesne's twelfth. Hello. <laughs> but like, but it's it's that he's... level right now. It's just like holy crap, Nico. But it hasn't yeah. even been like five days or something. Like he's basically had that position for three weeks. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it, it's ridiculous the pace he's on. And obviously scoring goes down over the year. Like, he's not going to score 130 points. I mean, I hope he does, but he probably won't. But what still, if he does? I mean, but what if he does? You know, what if he if scores he does, 120, abs so you know? <laughs> <laughs> if he even scores 100, the abs are so screwed. Nathan McKinnon's going to be looking at his paycheck like, dude, this sucks. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not like Max. I mean, Max on pace for way over 100, too. I mean. Both those guys could easily get over 100. I, I was doing the math the other day, and it, it's something like Miko could hit 100 at this pace by game 61 or something like that. That would be absurd. That would be disgusting. The funnest part is everyone talks about McKinnon and Rantanen on this line, but Landeskog's over a point per game, too. Yeah, he and Mack are tied for fourth in the league in goals. So it's like they're the line is so good right now. The guy who's barely over a point per game is just like an afterthought, which right. is ridiculous. But he is, <laughs> but he is leading the league in plus minus. Well, that's because it's all even strength scoring too. Yeah, it's because their, not... their power play line is dog shit. Yeah, it's not like Nico has all these points either with a whole bunch of cheap secondary assists or a whole bunch of power play points. Like it's it's even strength produc- production, which is why it's funny. There's some opinions out there about how Rantanen doesn't drive play. It's just absurd it when is- he's shown he's the best even strength producer in the league right now as well. Yeah, it, we have so to have the conversation on the power play. Yeah, but it's not <laughs> the first the abs- power play line. You, just, you have to have the conversation at this point of like, is it a coincidence that McKinnon starts going off when Rantanen starts going off? Because those two together still, are wild. I still think McKinnon hasn't scored a goal that Rantanen hasn't assisted on. Yeah, I think you're right. A couple of them are secondaries now, but right. still. But still. So it's... Yeah, it is. And I do think they make each other better. They they certainly have chemistry and, and their strengths yeah. are a little bit different. But... I got a little sad the other day because I was like, yeah, they're not going to win the MVP because they're both too good. <laughs> I mean, if they keep up like this, they could. I mean, they they might have co-MVPs. Here's the thing. Will the league actually let them both be all-stars? If Since you, the abs uh, only get We riot if they don't, if, yeah. If you remember but back to you... kind of our preseason pods, we were asking ourselves, who's going to steal the Hart Trophy from Nathan McKinnon? And did any of us say Miko Rantanen? Did you? I suggested Miko would score more than McKinnon. I don't remember. I did. I didn't say it was back... for sure going to happen, but I floated the idea that he could. I'll take your word for it. I'm just saying I don't remember it happening. That's why I asked. But I, I remember I remember her saying that. Nice. She definitely did. Thanks, Earl. <laughs> but like the league's gonna have to like either have to choose between Ben and Sagan or have to boot out one of the Jets. Well, the stars suck, so they can take the short stick. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta hate that team. 
Um, but if, apart from just the top line, if you paid attention to kind of the game stories here, you heard a lot of different names on the score sheet. On the score sheet, excuse me. And I think one of us has some thoughts on that. Yeah. Um, it's just funny because I, I was even read an article today and it was about how great the top line or the gold chain, if you will, is. I will But not. then they said <laughs> there's nothing. <laughs> nothing past them and sure they don't have like a 60 point scorer on any different line but you know or maybe they do <laughs> they could but Kerf's on a 40 point pace Soderberg is on pace to have the most goals he's ever had in a season but like it's not even just them either and I I have this pulled up here um of the uh all the players that have scored a goal in November for the Avs. So this is just eight games, and it also includes four games of the losing streak. So it's McKinnon, Landeskog, Soderberg, Kerf, Ranton, and Jost, Calvert, Dries, Wilson, Johnson, Andrigetto, Kamenev, Zadorov, Cole, and Barry. So ten of those goals are from McKinnon, Landeskog, and Ranton, and 30... So 20 of the 30 goals are from the other players. And then um, on the power play, McKinnon, Landeskog, and Rantanen have five goals. And then there's four goals from others on the power play, which are Jost, Calvert, which is pretty funny, and Kerfoot. And Kamenev has the one shorthanded goal. So then that leaves 15 of the 30 are even strength goals from those that are not the gold chain. Yeah, I, I so, think you even undersold it a little bit. Uh, <laughs> Barry's on a 60-point pace. Kerfoot's really on like a 55-point pace. Soderberg's on a 40-plus, 45-even-point pace. You even have guys like Gerard on a 35-point pace, and we already talked about Wilson, too. <clears throat> we saw not only can the Avs get scoring depth, but they can get it from three of the four lines consistently, we'll say. And they needed it because it's been kind of a crossing point where the defense has gone down as the season goes on and the offense has picked up the slack. And I think that's where we more expected this team to be this year. Um, the defense was a nice surprise for the first 10 games, but it didn't last. And that's probably more accurate, I would say. So it was good to see that the scoring just picked up the slack, I guess, is what I tried to say in a really long-winded way. <laughs> I guess if you look at the Washington yeah. game, even, like, the, the top line just wasn't very good. Yeah. It wasn't, took that yeah. night off. Um, and that'll happen. And then you'll see goals like um, the first one in the, the last game we played was, um, was Kamenev to... Nemeth to Andrigetto, that's beyond like secondary scoring. Like you could reasonably expect that like Kerfoot and Soderberg, Jost and Barry are like your your second tier of scoring. But when you're getting points from like Kamenev and Nemeth, that's that's like beyond secondary. That's in a tertiary and even further scoring. And it's nice to see it's not just a couple guys that have really filled in the gaps it's that whole list of guys that i mentioned it's up and down the lineup it and it's consistent and i think that is like you said that is kind of part of the identity of the team 
is that they're getting contributions from everywhere, which is just so funny because the narrative is you have this great top line and nothing past that. And sure, maybe you don't have a household name second liner, but secondary scoring is not their problem. Like the next time they lose two or three games, it's going to be go trade for a winger. And it's just like, that's not their issue. They have what they need. And those guys are scoring goals right now. I mean, and like I said, those, the stats I even said were in their five or they're in their four games that they were losing. So it's winning, it's losing. It's, it's in every situation. I think we still need a true, like high scoring second line winger, but I agree with you. It, it seems like the the national media is just a year behind the times with us, right? Last year they'd written us off, and then our top line killed everything, and they got the attention. And now the world has to slowly realize that we have a little bit more than that. I just I, I like the way that they're built right now. Is is you know they're very strong down the middle. Like obviously McKinnon is is good, and then you know Miko is is fantastic on his wing. But you know Kerfoot and Soderberg are really producing well down the middle as your you know the, the top three centers on the team. And even though Kamenev's point production isn't you know really taking off yet, um, <clears throat> you know he's a, he's he's falling into that solid fourth line center role and i mean even he could end up with you know something around 20 points which you know for a fourth line center would be fab just fabulous um but i mean they could theoretically have their top three centers with over 50 points and obviously mckinnon way over 50 points but you know um seeing what kerfoot and soderberg have, have done this year i mean that really makes for a strong team it does, and the the one reason I do say we could use a winger is because of Kerfoot's play style as a center, or pseudo-center, whatever you want to call him on that line. If you can get a winger like, say, Owen Tippett, and throw him on Kerfoot's wing and just have him rip bombs, that's two lines that teams just can't defend against. Like, you're going to get good matchups no matter what at that point. Yeah. I mean, sure, I hope that they get that guy because I agree they need like a sniper a guy that can really shoot the puck but I don't want to see a rental I don't want to see no yeah this is way too much way too much given up for a marginal guy in that spot like you know develop that kind of guy go try to get a long-term solution you know if you could maybe sign a free agent think about it but it's just it's not a need. It's not a desperate need. No, and I think the the saving grace is as much as fans really want to see a scoring wing, I don't think that management looks at it exactly the same way. I think they really do like <clears throat> the solid down the middle with a good defense type of building structure. Um, yeah, I mean, the thing the Avs need most right now is just time, right? They have Makar coming in, they have Bowers coming in, they have Kaut developing, they have whatever they get in the draft this year from Ottawa and their own pick. And the core is pretty much in place and still very young. So just by filling out their own roster with their own prospects and things like that, this team's only going to get better. 
Yeah, the yeah. hope is that either between Bowers and Kaut or with those two together, then you can bring in the rest of the goals that you're missing. I, I just really don't think that focusing on goal scoring is the answer right now. I th- What the team is lacking is in shot production. And yes, they're yeah. scoring plenty because they have elite shooting talent on the top line and they're generating really cool chances elsewhere as well. But this team is the slowest pace in the National Hockey League by a lot. And that's not just because... like They suppress shots really well, but they don't generate them. And if imagine the team that can score as well as this team that actually generates shots at even an average pace. Oh my god. Yeah. And, I, and I that's don't... why I talked about a guy like Tippett, right? You have someone who just... They're a total shoot-first mentality type player. Like... A Yakupov with brains. <laughs> I, so you're saying we I should draft Kaliev then? I don't think their pace is as bad as it looks. And that's it's for several reasons. Like, their pace is pretty close to Nashville's. And I know, like, Sean's charts show that they're, like, way bad or worse than the league as far as pace. <clears throat> but the thing is, those those are score-adjusted. And the main problem I have with score adjusting is that you adjust the shots, but you don't adjust the time. So if teams like Nashville that are ahead all the time, they get kind of screwed on their pace numbers because of that. I, you know, it's not the same situation for the abs, but I just think with the abs, it's just a hallmark of who they are. And how long we've been talking about that, this, the, you know, their their shot metrics are just so bad, and it's and they're getting the against a bit better, but it just seems like the personnel they have doesn't shoot. They can get a long offensive zone possession and just pass it around, and they don't shoot. And they've always been the best off the rush. That that's the same as they are now. And then Bednar, I think he doesn't focus on it. He prefers the suppression. And just the way that they, their style of play isn't conducive to a lot of shots. So well, I, they, they prefer quality chances over quantity. Yeah, and you know, I I agree with that. And the thing is, is last year they had the quality working, and this year it's not quite there. And I know it. You know, it, it's it's early in the season. It did take them a little while for them to develop that last year. So, um, it's. It's I like... think it's interesting you brought up the score effects. Because while I agree with you, especially on the power play, we've seen how slow they can be in the offensive zone. I think the Ducks game was a really good example of when the game was close, the Ducks were forechecking a lot. And we suck at generating against a forecheck. Right. And then we saw the Ducks get up by two. And all of a sudden they start sitting back. And when you sit back against us, that's when we start playing our game. And all right. of a sudden, we're all over the offensive zone getting a ton of shots. So this is something we talked about last year, too. And it seems like the Avs still aren't quite to the point where they can impose their will of the way they want to play on a game. And that's something that they need to learn to do. The top line can do it at times. We've seen them take over games. But the depth lines still don't really understand how to do that and kind of just go with the flow of the game as it is. The game and yesterday is something that, that we usage. call classic Randy. Oh yeah, I, well, I thought the Ducks were just, they bored me out of the room, but... 
But I, and part of that is usage, and you know, we we don't need to talk about my buddy Matt Calvert all day, but you know, it's like when you use Carl's line a lot, you're gonna deal with you know a line that that doesn't generate very much as far as volume, and <clears throat> you know, it's like when when you take a guy like Calvert that has fourth line rates and use him at a at a second line time on ice, you're gonna end up with about third line minus minute production and you know i i think that's that's kind of that that's kind of something that that holds them back and and, and you know i i don't know if they're ever going to change that mindset but you know and until they do it's it's probably not going to improve much well the turbo mode's fun but they can't just play a whole game in turbo mode and I, I just I don't think the Avs are ever going to be a shot mentality team. And it is maddening at some times you wish they would shoot the puck more, but it's, it is, it's reflected in the, in the, what they do on the first power play unit. It's, I just, I, I don't think they're ever going to get the analytic praise in that area. And they also, they're a team that always has a higher save percentage. They're a team that always has a higher shooting percentage. They're just always going to look like a bottom half team in the analytics. And I, I just think striving for improvements, one thing, but th- there's also just acceptance that it's never going to look pretty. So if, I mean, you, if you resign yourself to never taking even an average number of shots and what you're doing is you're setting yourself up to get goalied like more often than other teams because you aren't giving yourself as many chances. So the other team's goalie only has to make, you know, two or three really good saves as opposed to five or six. That that's kind of like Avalanche hockey though. I mean, it's not even just this year. It's not even just Bednar. It's unless you just completely change the team and start over. Like this is how the Avs play. And it's, well, I, it's I mean, I don't matter. want to be the Carolina hurricanes either. I mean, I'd rather deal with this. Like, They've shown pretty consistently over, you know, the the first quarter of this season and all of last season that they were they are one of the top teams in the league as far as goals per except, expected goal, and I, I, you know, I don't think that's luck. It's been a hundred games that they've been able to do that, so this is sustainable. It's something that they try to do and they do, um, and. You know, if the analytics crowd doesn't like that, that's you know that's great. But you know, I I don't think it it hurts them. You know, not being a volume team. As far as the power play At goes, the... I I hate the power play the way it looks. It's just disgusting. But I mean, they're over thirty percent. They're second in the league. Uh, you know, that counts I, I know power it's... play too, though. At What's the that? top, I agree though. At the top, I think it's fine. You can let the skill shine through. But as you work your way down, you've got Tyson Jost with less than one shot a game. You've got Kamenev with less than one shot a game. You've got Nieto with barely one shot a game. These are the guys that we need to see more shots out of, the ones that don't have the skill to always get those quality type of goals. Well, they're not a rebound team either. It's like shots are great, but is anyone going to – if they can't get it in with skill, is there anyone going to be there to put it in with a rebound? And yeah, we've seen some of those goals bouncing, like Calvert getting his lucky points, bouncing I mean, look off. Look at Sven's of goal last night. I mean, he shot that goal in too. But it was a rebound, though. 
they, but that's something they don't get much of. And it would be nice if they did, but it's just they don't have the mentality to go down in the crease and go and get the rebound. And I agree the way the abs are set up, it's that they kind of are more susceptible to either luck or what the other team's doing or circumstance because, because like you said, they're kind of riding on the hope of quality. But at this point, it's just not something they could change. I mean, I agree. I would like to see everyone shoot more, especially the, the bottom forwards. They could stand to shoot more. I just don't think it's going to make that big of a difference. It's hard to be a rebound team when so many of your chances are one shot and around the boards and out. Whee! Or always, like, even from a bad angle, trying to shoot to score instead of shooting for the pad pass. But again, yeah. that that's something that is a much longer term issue and probably not going to change anytime soon. And we need to keep on rolling. So while, while we've been talking about an individual performances, do you want to go ahead and call out some stars? Yes. I'll start then. I have one. Is it Miko? I would like... No. Okay. I'm, but Miko does deserve one. But no, my star is going to go to Kamenev this week. I think he's had uh, a, a really good week. I think in particular, the Boston and the Anaheim game were hit, were some of his strongest efforts. The Washington game, I think, wasn't quite as good, but he's definitely been on a roll. He's using his size. He's cycling. He's he's making plays. Uh, it's nice to see him get rewarded with a point last night in Anaheim, and I think I think he's definitely on the right path, and he deserves a star this week. Cool. If we could ever find a way to get more ice time for Vlad Kamenev, the team would probably be better for it. But it's like we talked about earlier; it's just rough to to make that happen. Um, what about from Earl or from Rudo? Any any non Miko stars? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I'm gonna give it to Jost. Uh, I think he's been basically a new man since returning from his injury. His production is up. Not only that, but his play in the offensive and defensive zones are significantly better. He looks much more comfortable, especially with the puck, and seems to be clicking with players. He, the Abs have started moving him around. He got some time with Soderberg. He gets some time with Jost. And he seems like he's finally finding his role on the team, which is something he's desperately needed. Yeah, I agree. I think he has looked better. You do wonder if that skills coach has made any difference. Joseph even said that he he feels like he already got a lot out of it, or just just a little bit of a reset helped him, or whatever it was. But he does look a lot better. And my star is going to be Big Carl. Big old I agree Carl. with that. Yeah, and it's 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 funny that he's really gotten better since they took Nieto off his wing. Like, I imagine that. <laughs> um, and not that Dreis is, you know, like playing with McDavid or anything like that. But I, I you know, I, I think that uh, Dreis is, is sort of a, a high-risk, high you know, mid-reward kind of player. Um, and I, I think that just playing with that kind of mentality on one side of his wing um, has has really allowed Carl to, you know, be a little bit more offensive and, and play a little bit more of a setup guy because, you know, having someone to to sort of 
play in front of the net and and sort of pick up some rebounds like Dries has been doing is is a good thing. Um, Soderberg had a point in like every game that he hasn't been with Nieto <laughs> or close to it. If it's not every, it's less. It's just only not one. <laughs> oh, he probably, I don't think he had one last. He probably I, I forgot on Wednesday. He scored on Friday. He had five points he in had the, the four games leading up. On Wednesday. Yeah. In the four games that he wasn't with Nieto leading into the Ducks game, he had five points. So <laughs> uh, I think that worked. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but, you know, obviously he still has to deal with a, a guy that, that turns it over constantly and can't clear the puck or anything on his other wing. So it, it's, you know, it's still a little dicey, but it, that definitely helped a bunch. Would that be someone you'd like to scratch? I always <laughs> want to scratch Matt Calvert. <clears throat> I mean, the proof's days. in the pudding here of our depth scoring with three stars being the depth guys, right? So well, that, great. Yeah. That's partially because we are kind of like, yeah, it's boring to say the top line every week. We, we know yeah. that they get a star unless they don't. They've transcended stardom, I think, yeah. at this point. <laughs> when, when they exactly. don't get a star, it's because we've decided that they sucked this week and we need to scratch Nathan McKinnon. Um, but otherwise, like you can generally and, and assume Kerf, it would have been my honorable mention even. So yeah, uh, Kerf had had a little bit of a rough one against Washington, which was unfortunate yeah. because the top line had a rough one as well. It was just kind of a perfect storm there. Um, but but he was good against the bees. Like that's why I wouldn't give him a star for the week. He was he was good against the bees, and he had been good before that. Um, sure, but it just. You know, it, it's nice to see those guys picking it up. So aside from Matt Calvert, who else is on our scratch list? Literally the scratch, Zadorov. Okay. I I would actually take that one further and scratch the entire defense. <laughs> Go on. Um, <laughs> Of the seven players, and this goes a little bit further than this week, this is more like the past seven, eight, nine, ten games. The only two that have been consistently solid are Gerard and Cole, and even they've had their issues. We've talked about Cole's penalties and things like that, and Gerard at times can get a little sloppy in the defensive zone. Not going to knock them too much on that because they're the better defense, but we've really seen the defense, especially on breakouts, just kind of totally fall apart. EJ has not been the leader we've come to expect from him for that decor, and it's just, sometimes it gets super ugly when it's Nemeth and Barbario cycling the puck to the other team. It's just not pretty. <laughs> and Bar Barry's had his both sides of Barry this week. Yeah, he I had one too. really good game finally, but we'd been saying for like two weeks before that that he needs to pick it up. <laughs> And I didn't like his game against Washington. I don't know. Maybe I saw something different, but I mean. And it's a good spot so to be in when you have a Barry with 17 points and we say he's been bad, but. Yeah. He got 16 assists. <laughs> some of those, some of those. And sure, he had, he's had some good plays. Like, I, I liked his little pass to Jost on that. No, that um, was an accident. He did not do that on purpose. Okay, well then, we'll take that back. Um. It, it Barry and his production is definitely a thing. Like you can see where he gets it from sometimes, but other times you're just like, "How on earth does this guy get points?" Yeah, it just happens. I, I, 
it, it, I mean, if it Lights hadn't happened up. like consistently for the past couple of years, you'd be like, this guy's just falling ass backwards into it. But he does know, do I mean, certain he's things. Sixth in the league among defensemen and with in points, and that's just but then it's like for him. Like he, even he, more reason why you don't want to pay for it. But it's like Gerard can make six com- solid, solid plays, and he'll get like maybe one point out of them. And it's just like, come on, what does Gerard have to do to get a point? It can be ridiculous sometimes. And then, then you're like, what on earth did Barry do to get these points in this game? But yeah, <laughs> I know. He's obviously doing something, but then there's other yeah. moments. No, Some and it, it's, 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 it's funny gene. because you can't put your finger on <laughs> why exactly he's scoring so much. Right. It just happens. He just does. I'll let someone else pay for it then. But, yeah. I, but I don't even know that sloppy is necessarily the right word for what happens with Sam Gerrard. I think he knows how talented he is and every once in a while gets a little bit too cool for school. I think that he just has those casual moments. And, and casual is the word that I've always kind of been drawn to when it comes to Gerrard not necessarily making the right play. Well, with him, he has the, the green light to make aggressive plays. So you love it when it works nine times out of ten, but like the one out of ten times it doesn't work, then it's just like, oh, God. But yeah, it's, yeah. it's what he's Barry trying to do. has a lot of do. anecdotal reasons not to like him. Right. But his game as a whole is, you know, it's pretty productive. And I, I you know, I know it's very frustrating to see his errors all the time, but... At the end of the day, when you sort of look at what he accomplishes, it's it's you know, it's still pretty impressive. It's a lot. Um, but so since we've scratched the entire blue line, I think that's probably enough players for going on today. Um, before we <laughs> look at next week, I have a simple question for the class. This week, the Avs penalty kill went fifty-five point five percent, which I'm told is in fact not good. So my question is, what the fuck? What happened this week? I don't know. Too many penalties. I think. I mean, they've they've had too many penalties all year, though. Yeah, they, they lead the league by a good up. margin. <laughs> I would say goaltending a little bit. I would say um, maybe some lack of consistency. I mean, you're taking Nemeth in and out. You're you're taking guys out that that play on the penalty kill, like Nieto. He obviously wasn't scratched, but he didn't play every game. Then you have games where sometimes you're using Kamenev, sometimes you're using Drys. Even used Dano on a shift yesterday. Please don't so do it again. So it's like maybe it was just they seconds. So please don't but do it, it again. It wasn't. <laughs> and yes, it was definitely a shift, though. It wasn't just like putting him out because the penalty was going to expire. I, no, I, no, I he does that with McKinnon. I think it coincides a little bit with the breakout issues. Um, and the breakout, while we like to put it on the defenseman, goes on the forwards too. I know breakout is a little bit different when you're on the penalty kill, but when the defensemen get the puck up to the forwards on the half boards and you have Matt Calvert shooting the puck right to the other team, you turn one chance in the zone into three, and then your PK is exhausted and you need your goalie to make a big stop. Outside of Varley at times, they haven't been getting those big stops. So they're kind of shooting themselves in the foot a lot on the PK. And one thing I'm wondering is that the Eagles are going through the exact same problems we just outlined with both the defense and the penalty kill. And 
it just it, it makes me think that there's something systemic about this. I'd also say consistent personnel is a big thing that the Eagles yeah. are going through. They definitely are, but you know, it, when you have your AHL affiliate with the exact same problems at the exact same time as the big club, um, it, it really makes you wonder. You know, are they doing something? as far as coaching or systems that's affecting this, you know, cause it, it, and they're playing some of the, the similar teams as far as, you know, it's like we played the ducks affiliate and we just played the ducks. Um, so are like, you know, are, are the guys that, that are scouting this organization getting things back to these teams? Um, no, it's, it's definitely possible too. I, I will say if you think the abs power play couldn't look worse, I will say it definitely could. Again, and the Eagles power play second in, in the league with over thirty percent effectiveness. So, I, well, I, that, that includes the second unit. The difficulty with the first unit, as I've said a thousand times, is not that it's bad. It's it, if it was worse, it would probably be helpful because you'd get more second unit time. It's it's that it's just ungood enough that it is not quite useful. Yeah, it's, it's, and plus, it's just terrible to look at. Yeah. That's the thing we all hate about it. It's like, you know, like with anyone would take a 30% effective power play because that's really good. I mean, we like the but second. Just, I don't like looking at it. <laughs> it's very bad to look at. Um, but like one of those, like the goaltending is definitely a valid complaint here because like one of the goals we called out on Grubauer was on the penalty kill um, in the Ducks game? Ducks game, yes. And then like Every time, uh, taking too many penalties is definitely an issue here, just because if you're struggling to kill them off, that's a problem, but it's also who's taking the penalties. Like, you often have a penalty killer in the box, so that doesn't help with the whole resolving per revolving personnel problem. But Yeah, and I mean, this is more anecdotal for me, uh, so don't take it as fact or anything, but a lot of the time, it feels like the Avs players are rushed on the PK. They rush themselves, because nobody wants to be the guy that holds onto the puck and gets stripped. But when you're dumping the puck out of the zone or trying to, you have to get your eyes up and look. You can't just shoot it right to the other teams. You, ha you have to be able to shoot it to open ice, and the Avs are really bad at that. <laughs> Maybe we need to create a new stat, which is uh, CBNO plus minus. And what you do is you watch the game and you listen and you count for each team how many times the announcers say cleared but not out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we should get Mike Kelly in the point on that because yep. I think that would be a perfect stat for them. But it might be a little too concrete for them. I think the abs would be minus or it would be 31st in the league in CBNO plus minus. Hey, but they'd be first in the lead in Lixlade with Marshand in second, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Coming up this week, the Avalanche are in L.A. for a Wednesday middle-of-the-night game with the Kings. That's 8.30 Mountain. Ouch. Brutal. Then, then on Friday, they travel to Arizona for a 6 o'clock Mountain start on Capitalism Day. Finally, the Avs are back-to-back -back at home on Saturday against the Dallas Stars. 
who are also traveling for a back-to-back, so expect a gross, sludgy game out of that one. Arizona will be on Altitude 2, the Ocho, but all others are on Vanilla Altitude. Three games, three teams who are in the bottom half of the conference. How many points? <clears throat> Big six. I'll go with four. The back That back-to-back is going to be pretty rough, but... It's, it's rough be, for both. It's rough for both. Five's been good to me, so I'll stick with five. Yeah. Um, Who do you think beats him in overtime? Dallas. I think that stupid Arizona team they're going to lose to. I mean, it's... And every, every loves Arizona. It'll be all their fault. This is, this is a really important week for the Avs to beat the teams that they're supposed to. They did a great job this past week to put themselves in a situation where they're in the playoffs and there are no teams behind them that can catch them clean. They've all either played more games than the Avs or are far enough behind that the games in hand won't get them to the Avs. So if you take the majority of the points this week, you can really start to separate yourself and potentially even catch a team like Minnesota and put yourself in the thick of the central race. So... It'll be a strong goal in the third period, and they'll beat the Avs like three to two. So I, I think Dallas is the game that they need to win this week. I mean, obviously, well, I mean, yeah. like you can't lose to the Kings, but <laughs> no, um, they really have to win that game. Yeah, not but, having Duchesne anymore hurts against the Stars, but it is Simeon Varlamov. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I mean, because right now the they're in a flat-footed tie. Basically, I, I know that Dallas has one more win. Um, who knows how it plays out before the the game actually gets played? But you know, as it stands now, they have the same amount of points, but Dallas has one more win. So I, I guess think putting Dallas behind them would be the best thing they could do. I guess the question is, how do you see the goaltending shake out this week? Since we don't know for sure Varley plays that Dallas game, but I think, I think it's a safe do. assumption it'll go Varley, Groovy, Varley. But yeah. we'll see. Yes, I agree with that. Very likely. Um, we're all forgetting one very important rule here, which is the bad game rule. Um, Wednesday night is a classic bad game. <laughs> so if you're calling five <laughs> points, the OTL is a Wednesday night, obviously. <laughs> Nah, Boston proved that wrong. That game will end at 12.45 Eastern. Oh, hey, that oh, could be a true. shootout win. That could be an overtime win. Get to the 1 a.m. mark, yeah. <laughs> I am very curious to see how they play against L.A. Because when L.A. was decent, they actually would play them fairly decent most of the time. I do remember the one game I went to against L.A. last year in March, and it was awful, but... Usually, usually they, you'd hear, oh, the big L.A. team are going to get killed, and they usually would hold up against them. Let's take a look decent. at who Los Angeles might have in their net. <laughs> yeah. yeah okay. Now that, now that Jonathan if it's Quick Cal Peterson, I'm, I'd actually be a little bit worried because he, cause he could, you know, the whole rookie steal games, 
blah 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 bullshit that always happens to the Avs. I I hope it's like Budai or someone, whoever the old person is they have at this point. <laughs> I, I just can't person. be worried about it. The Kings used to play us decently because they were big and would just physically yeah. muscle us, but they've gotten so slow this year that the Avs that, are just going to skate circles around that's them. That's why I'm curious what that game's going to look like. I haven't seen the Kings yet. I haven't seen how bad they look. So, I, I, I am curious to see <laughs> Yeah, it's bad. <laughs> the Kings yeah, are six, twelve, and one with thirteen points, which is cleanly the last in the league by a fair margin. Their goal differential is minus twenty-two. The next closest is Anaheim's minus seventeen. The Kings have scored thirty-nine goals. Every other team in the National Hockey League has scored at least forty-eight. <laughs> they lose yes. the Kings. That means Kovalchuk got a hat trick. Hey, he's on my fantasy team. So, in relation to their peers, the Kings are... But, it's a bad game. Yeah. <laughs> I think it'll be like an overtime win. Do we know Dallas is traveling on that back-to-back as well? Or? Yes, they are. Okay, so that's not so bad. It's a home game, so Dallas has to be traveling. Well, are, they could be there before we do is what i'm saying no they, they, then it wouldn't be a back-to-back for them I guess it's a back-to-back true. for them too okay it's like every team plays on wednesday and friday basically this week right probably that's how they set up this week i think there's a ton of games on wednesday and friday yeah to dodge yeah. american thanksgiving like, this is yeah. a, a back-to-back <laughs> i'd be really pissed off about to go from a california road trip straight into a back-to-back against a division team except the division team is doing the same thing. So, who are they playing on Friday? Um. Well, let's see. They're playing the New York Rangers right now. Is Ottawa winning? I'm sure they are. I don't want to know. <laughs> so they play They're Pittsburgh on Wednesday, and they play Good. Ottawa on Friday. Those are both home games for Dallas. Well, no, they're not. The Friday one is a home game for Dallas, but they play at Pittsburgh Wednesday. They are home against Ottawa Friday and then come to Denver on Saturday. So they get kind of the one game faux home situation. Yeah, fair amount of travel for them, too. Yeah, that's fine. They can score all their goals on Anderson. I was going to say, we have to root for the big time on Friday. Yeah, Yeah. Neither team are playing particularly good opposition, so this is going to be an interesting little sludge game just to see how bad it gets. But I'm down to pick at least four points this week just because the you have to think that the Avalanche are good enough to do that. Yes, I'm going with four. If they they pick up four points every week, they'll be all right. So... Last question before we get out of here. How high are the chances of five central division teams in the Pacific Division? Like 99%. Yeah. I think pretty high. How high are the chances of a central division champion of the Pacific Division? Way higher than it should be. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think it's going to happen. Who's going to beat them? I mean... You're looking at either Colorado, (laughs) Dallas, or probably Minnesota... Versus probably San Jose to win that division. And San Jose hasn't been great. <laughs> They've been putting it no. together a little bit lately. But, I mean, San Jose's the kind of team, like, I mean, obviously they don't. They know they don't have to really win a lot of games to win the division right now. And 
I mean, it's like, he, I, I, what is Carlson have like three points or something like yeah. that? I mean, I think he just got his first goal the other night. So, um, you know, they, they've got the next five months to figure it out, and they probably will by the time the playoffs start. And haven't really right. been getting goaltending very well either. And obviously, but it's still win early, but. Two series from the wild card position in the other division. I mean, as much as we want to rip on the Pacific, that's still a tall order. I really, besides San Jose, if they put it together, you can't bet on Calgary or Vancouver to win a playoff series. I, I wouldn't bet on the app, Calgary. <laughs> That'd be a nightmare matchup. So, um, but regardless of how the Pacific Division trip shakes out, hopefully the Avs will go three and three on it, and then go kick the shit out of Dallas because fuck Dallas. But. No matter what happens, you can always find out here, and we will be back on our normal schedule this week. We should be recording on Sunday, releasing on Monday, because the NHL scheduler has decided to not be a total asshole to me for once, so thank you. Um, you can always catch the show on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash burgundyradio, or on Mixcloud at mixcloud.com slash burgundyradio. You can find us posted on burgundyrainbow.com. You can come yell at us either on our respective Twitters or on Discord, where it's probably more likely to catch most of us. Um, the Discord link is on the top bar at burgundyrainbow.com. Come check us out. Come have a chat. Come watch the game with some pals and enjoy the freakouts that always happen. Have a great Thanksgiving if you're in America. If you're in Canada, uh, you've already had yours, so I don't really feel too bad about you. Keep your head up in dirty areas, and we'll see you next week. You're missing the Habs, Earl. Are you going spoiler-free? Are you going to watch later? No, I'm going to watch the shitty uh, Eagles game now. <laughs> <laughs> I, guess ran I to can't practice, wait for that commentary. So but like I bad. said, it won't, it won't kill you in the heart when you know what's coming. It's not quite the same. <laughs> but I did watch back that... I didn't watch the whole period, but I had to watch back to see how they fucked those goals up. <laughs> well, I just I, I want to get an idea of you know I I like watching games after they happen when I know the outcome just because you watch you know, people I know easier. Goal... Yeah. Well, it's it's that and you know when the fuck ups come, so you're like, okay, you know, <laughs> they're gonna <laughs> they're gonna let in a goal in about a minute. Let's see how this really develops. I, I don't know why you guys get your hopes up in the first place. All I've known is pain <laughs> since I started watching the AHL. Like... We don't! We don't! It's everyone that's like, oh, they're Colorado now. Oh, this lineup stacks. Like, they're just gonna, they're gonna murder everybody. Come on, it's not us that has their hopes up. We know what's happening. I, I just don't, I don't understand how the defense is so bad there. What's not yes, to understand? <laughs> 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 All right, y'all, I gotta I gotta cut this up.